0: some foolishly wonder if it pays to live the christian life why bother wisdom tells us why we ought to pursue the wisdom and fear of god then you will understand what is right just and fair and you will find the right way to go for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy wise choices will watch over you understanding will keep you safe Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. These men turn from the right way and walk down dark paths. They take pleasure in doing wrong and they enjoy the twisted ways of evil. Their actions are crooked and their ways are wrong. The fruit of the life that is devoted to wisdom is the fruit of joy this joy is ours because we are protected against evil people and we have wisdom to make right decisions while foolish people have no idea how to live the wise are confident and sure of themselves it is not because of pride but because of clear protection of god while fools seek the guidance of fortune tellers and psychics the wise person has the guidance of the lord how foolish it is
1: to be a fool amen how foolish it is to be a fool well we have been spending all summer learning how not to be fools learning how to be wise and remember we said that that to be a fool has nothing to do with your iq to be a fool is to reject god is to reject his will and his purpose for our lives and so we want to be wise people We want to be a people that does and that do the will of God. Now, let me just uh, share with you uh, something about Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Blaise Pascal. Uh, We don't often uh, refer to men like this because some might feel it's a bit too deep and uh, maybe too difficult, but uh, one thing I do know about the people of Cross Church is that they're smarter than average, so... uh, (laughs) I just want to say that I think that you'll appreciate what I got to share this morning about these two men. First of all, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, he was born in the 1700s, and uh, he is one of the philosophers of the Enlightenment. He wrote a book, or really an essay called Discourse on the Science and Arts, and after having written that, he instantly rose to fame and they say that what he wrote in that paper forever changed the way the humans view human beings. His basic thesis said this, man is naturally good, and anything that is not natural has corrupted us from this natural state. It's been argued that romantic philosophy, and when I say romantic philosophy, we're not talking about amour, or about love. We're talking more about a period in history that this romantic philosophy and sensibility stems from this single simple idea that man is good. His assumption that man is good inspired Freud. It inspired the idea, the American idea of freedom. And it inspired Karl Marx and of course, many, many others. And then you've got Blaise Pascal who was born and did his work in the century prior to Jean-Jacques Rousseau. He also was a philosopher, but he was a scientist. He was a mathematician. They say that he was one of the greatest minds that France has ever produced. And he said that the true and proper study uh, that should, should grip every human was the study of human nature. And he says, we must conclude two things, or one of two things. We must conclude that man is basically good or that man is inherently sinful. Well, Pascal concludes and argues in his book, Pensies, that men are inherently sinful. And when we say men, everybody understands we mean women as well, right? Everybody gets that. It's not just men who are evil, women are evil as well. Pascal is not alone in his understanding and his view of human beings. Augustine is the one that is credited with with formulating the doctrine of original sin, that we are all born as sinners. The Old Testament clearly defines us that way. We find King David in the Psalms, the two of his Psalms, saying that there are none righteous, no, not even one, that no one seeks after God, We find the Apostle Paul in Romans 6, verse 16, saying that all of us are slaves to sin. This is the condition of all humans. Now, unfortunately, Christians have forgotten their theology and have begun to spout off the wisdom of this world, the idea, the notion that humans are basically good. I want to share with you uh, some findings from a Dr. Christian Jarrett. He's a psychologist. He was writing his article for the British Psychological Society. And the the article is called 10 Psychological Findings That Reveal the Worst of Human Nature. Unfortunately, I don't have time to cite all of the studies that support these findings, and that's something you can do yourself. Again, the man's name is Christian Jarrett. He's a doctor. Uh, he's got his doctorate in neuroscience now christian jared because because his name is christian doesn't mean that he is a christian and so you need to know that this is written from a completely secular point of view it's not written from a christian point of view but nevertheless he he reveals and shows a position that is really quite contrary to what jean-jacques rousseau said and what many people believe today he says that humans do have an evil side and again, all of his findings are supported by his, uh, his well, there's many citations that you can look up yourself. So the first thing he says is that we, all humans, not just white people, not just black people, and nothing in between, we all view minorities and the vulnerable as less than human. Now, exactly what all that means, well, you'll have to look that up yourself, but the fact of the matter is, is that, is that we as humans, unless we're converted, if we're unconverted, we have this tendency to look down on the vulnerable. We have a tendency to look down on people who are the minority. And by the way, you see racism, racism in every single country of the world. It's, it's not just in North America. You, if you're listening to the news, you might be under the impression that, that racism is a, is a purely uh, North American problem, but we find it wherever we go in the world. Furthermore, he discovered that young people dehumanize older people. This is this again, this is all young people. Um, he came to the he he also discovered that there's an inclination to dehumanize uh, other people, which starts as early as five years of age. And if if a child at the age of five sees somebody who looks foreign to him or is of a different gender, then he automatically uh, will dehumanize that person or think less of them at the age of four they discovered that we all experience what's called uh, schadenfreude I don't know if you've ever heard of that but it's a German expression that describes the human tendency to take pleasure in the pain of other people it's it's bizarre it's it's crazy it's weird but nevertheless it's a real thing and and science uh, the social scientists and the, and, and and the uh, psychology has discovered that children as young as four are experiencing this schadenfreude. We believe in karma, assuming that the downtrodden of the world must deserve their fate. So if you're poor, if you're broken, if you're from a, a poor nation, then the, the idea the assumption is that these people deserve this. And conversely, if people are rich, we believe that they deserve to be rich because they're more worthy or they're better. The idea that we're basically good is not holding up very well, according to recent studies. Here's something else. We are blinkered and we're dogmatic. We refuse to acknowledge facts. We refuse to give up our prejudice. We tend to, to, to stick to our prejudice, regardless of what the facts say. We would rather electrocute ourselves. This is, this is hilarious. We would rather electrocute ourselves and spend time in our own thoughts. That's what they discovered. And uh, it was demonstrated in a, in a study from 2014, which t- 67% of male participants and 25% of female participants opted to give themselves unpleasant electric shocks rather than spend 15 minutes in peaceful contemplation. We don't like to be alone. We don't like to be alone with our thoughts. We'd rather be on our phones. We'd rather be doing something. And if we can't do that, well, we we would rather electrocute ourselves, (laughs) give ourselves unpleasant electrical shocks. That just tells you how, how warped we all are. Now, it was the gist of these findings that seemed to back the verdict of the French philosopher Blaise Pascal, who states that all of man's troubles come from his inability to sit quietly in a room by himself. We we don't like to pray. We don't like to meditate. We don't like to think about what the Word of God says. We would rather be doing something and being busy. Christian Jarrett goes on to, to say that we are all moral hypocrites. This is not just some people. It's all people. We're all vain with a high opinion of ourselves. We tend to overestimate our own virtuousness. We are all sexually attracted to people with dark personality traits. We're more motivated by envy than by admiration, and we all lie, and it starts as early as age two, and we uh, are all manipulative, and they say that even babies begin to manipulate, and we know it by their fake crying. Now, I could go on and on, but that's about all we can take at the moment. But understand this, this notion, this idea that we are basically good is proven scientifically to be not true. But more than that, and more importantly than that, the Bible declares that we are not basically good. We live in an evil world, and we are surrounded by evil all the time. That's the condition of this world. And it's for this reason that James writes that friendship with the world is enmity with God. We need to understand that we should be different than our culture, different than our society. We should be different from our world. We should stand out as being different. Why? Well, if you were converted, if you're born again, then you do not have the mind of this world. You have the mind of Christ, which makes you different. You stand out as different because you belong to Jesus. Now, if you need any more proof of just how evil this world is, the abortion rate, uh, as it stands right now around the world, is one death per second. Did you get that? So this morning, early this morning, I checked it. There's actually a counter that's going. That you can you can Google it. Abortion rate around the world. When I when I looked it up this morning, it was twenty eight thousand eight hundred eighty seven, eight hundred eighty one babies that were aborted. That's one per second. And just before coming out here, the rate was at now at 28,000, or 28,907,260. This is, this is the world we live in. And the idea, the notion that we are basically good tells you what you need to know. Now, can I just say this for a moment? Because the world will say, well, hold on a minute. I don't agree with this. We ha- I have my own definition of what is good. Well, listen, we don't care what anybody's opinion is concerning what is good. In fact, you did not come to church this morning to find out what my opinion is on what is good. What you wanna know is what does the scripture say? What does the Bible say? What is the truth? And the truth is that we do not, we do not believe in abortion. In fact, we are against abortion because it means taking a life the life of a creature that has been created in the image of God. We need to understand that. We see that persecution, especially of Christians around the world, is worse than it's been for hundreds of years. And if you've been living with your head in the sand and you are unaware of of what the recent findings or discoveries have been at residential schools where Aboriginal children were taken away from their parents Forced to go to school, many of them were molested, uh, raped, abused horribly, and you still are arguing that that, the, that we're basically good. We see horrors all around around us. One in three women, they say, has been abused either sexually or or violently in some manner, and one in nine men has experienced abuse. And the reason that the numbers are lower for men is because men oftentimes don't report their abuse. So the question then is this, how on earth can we ever survive in a world that is so evil? Now, I'm not trying to depress anybody here. I'm trying to give you a wake-up call and tell you what the facts are. What is the truth about this crazy world that we live in? It's an evil world. And until you came to Christ, you too were on an evil path. So how do we survive this? How do we, how do we have do business in a world that is evil? How do we do business and how do we stand up against the evil forces that are all around us? How do we go to school? How do we survive in a neighborhood that is surrounded by evil? Well, I'm gonna tell you this, and don't be surprised at this, but it all begins, it all begins, if you wanna know how to survive, it all begins... By putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That is the starting point of surviving this evil world. You need to be born again. You need to be a Christian. Would you say amen to that? Amen. And after you've become a Christian, and that's if you've truly become a Christian, then you need to follow the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. You become a Christian, and then you obey Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you will Obey my commands. Now, for so many people, they think, well, I was baptized, so therefore I'm a Christian. No, not necessarily. Or I said a sinner's prayer, therefore I must be a Christian. Or I attend church every Sunday; that must mean I'm a Christian. I'm not talking about being a nominal Christian. Nominal means in name only. I'm talking about being a genuinely converted, born-again Christian who understands that you are evil your tendency is evil, that you are not basically good, that your heart is prone to wander, if you have understood that, then you have hopefully turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and asked him to forgive you of your sin, and you have repented. You've stopped walking away from God and you've turned direction and you're walking toward God. Now remember, when I'm talking about being converted, I'm not talking about perfection, about being perfect. It's not so much about perfection as it is about direction. If you're perfect, then then you are the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, well, I thought that when I became a Christian, I, I put on the perfection of Christ. You did, but on your own, you're not perfect. You need Jesus Christ. You put your faith in Christ. You have the perfection of Christ. And if you are born again, now you have changed direction. You're going towards God. Everybody in this room today, whether you know it or not, everybody in this room today sins and still sins. you understand that. I've heard preachers that declared that since they became a Christian, they'd never sinned again. Well, they're not telling the truth. If they were telling the truth, then Jesus would have taught that. But he didn't teach that, did he? This is why he taught us to pray every day. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is who we are. But the good news is that although we're not perfect, we are being perfected through Jesus Christ. This is why you come to church every Sunday, to hear the word of God. It's part of your sanctification. What does that mean? It's part of the process where you're being made holy. You're being made like Jesus. So hallelujah for that. Now, we are looking as our final passage in this series at Proverbs chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 9 to 15. You can turn there uh, right now if you have your Bibles. Now, I'm not going to read it to you again because it was already read to you in that video clip. But here's the thing, Solomon teaches us how to be safe from evil people. We're gonna talk about the fruit of wisdom, but first I wanna talk to you about how to be safe from evil people. And here's what Solomon says. Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. Wisdom will save you from evil people from those whose words are twisted. I love that word, the, the word that's translated here as save. It can also uh, mean to spoil, to spoil the enemy. Let me give you an example. When Lot was, was taken captive, and we read about this in Genesis, Lot was Abraham's Nephew, When Lot and his family and all his belongings were taken captive by these pagan kings, Abraham put together an army of, of his, of his uh, servants, the men of his household, and they went after this, this pa- these pagan kings. They captured Lot and his family. They brought Lot and his family back, plus Lot and his family's possessions. And more than that, they brought back everything else, that belong to these pagan kings. We call this spoiling the enemy or getting booty from that battle this is what we're talking about here wisdom is not just on the defensive because this is what we so often think as christians we 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 take a defensive position no wisdom is not just defensive it's also offensive and when i say offensive, i'm not saying obnoxious but i'm saying it's taking steps that overcomes evil it conquers evil this is why the apostle paul says that we are more than Conquerors through Jesus Christ. I want everybody to understand today your position in Jesus Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You don't have to sit back and, and cower because evil is nearby, because evil men are on the loose. You stand confidently and with assurance that Jesus Christ dwells within you richly and you are more than a conqueror through Christ. This is who you are. And this wisdom that we're talking about is a wisdom that comes from God. It's, an, it's, it's a, a superpower, if you will, and I'm gonna sh- share that with, more about that in just a few moments. But first of all, what you need to understand is you need to understand who evil people are and you need to understand what they're like. And so Solomon tells us, verses 13 to 15, and here's what he says. He says, these evil people, and it, by the way, let me just stop right there because if the Apostle Paul was uh, was reading this right now, he'd say, these evil men or these, these evil people, which were, which were some of you at one time before you became Christians, you too were evil people. These men turned from the right way to walk down dark paths. This, this is what evil people, they love the darkness. They love the darkness. This is why why nightclubs are opened at night and not during the day. Could you imagine, imagine a nightclub going dancing at 7 a.m. in the morning? Nobody does that. You don't go drinking at 7 in the morning unless you've got a drinking problem. But it's at night. Dark paths, the shadows. This is, this is the sign that your heart is still in an evil place, that it has still not been conquered by the light. You prefer the darkness. You prefer the shadows. You prefer lying to telling the truth. You don't want people to know know anything about you. You want to remain in your cocoon of darkness. Verse 14, they take pleasure in doing wrong. Did you hear that? This is what what, uh, Christian Jarrett discovered, this psychologist. He said, at age four, we already have this love of, of, of watching other people suffer, this schadenfreude. It's wild. They take pleasure in doing evil. We take pleasure in seeing evil being done to others. And they enjoy the twisted ways of evil. Their actions, Solomon says, are crooked and their ways are wrong. So here's the great shock. This passage here describes everyone in this room at one point in your life or another. If you're born again, if you are converted, then you have turned fr- from the wrong path of, of darkness. You've turned to the right path called the light. You no longer take pleasure in doing wrong. In fact, you are full of sorrow and remorse. You hate darkness, you hate doing wrong. You, you hate the twisted ways of evil. You love the light. There's so many people who call themselves Christians that could easily be described this way. And Jesus, for that reason, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember that from last summer, that there are gonna be people on the day of judgment. They're gonna stand before the Lord and they're gonna say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out devils in your name? Didn't we, didn't we do all these wonderful things in your name? Didn't we preach the gospel in your name? And Jesus is gonna say, what? Depart from me, I don't know who you are. Get out of my sight. Listen, it's not enough just to say, I'm a Christian. Yet you actually have to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll obey my commands. So, Blaise Pascal, he said this. He says, one must know oneself. We must know who we are and what we're really like. And the fact is, is that as the great hymn says we are prone to wander, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the Lord I love. That is who we are. You need to understand that about yourself. You need to understand that your default setting is sin. But thanks be to God, he's given us a brand new nature in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God that this new nature gives us a love of the light, a love of purity a love and a desire to do what's right. We hate this. We need to understand who evil people are and what they're like, but here's the other thing. We, we must at some point in our life surrender our lives to Christ. We must be born again. We must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Christ. We must believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and Paul tells us then we will be saved. Incredibly, only the Christian worldview asserts that we are not basically good. Did you know that? Christianity is the only religion in the world that says we're not basically good. Islam will tell you that we're born pure. That's what it says in the Quran. When we're born, we're born pure. Judaism says the same thing. Even though the Old Testament, as we saw, David is in the Old Testament, he said quite the opposite, but in Judaism, they teach that we're basically good. The idea is that we have the ability to obey God's word. But the apostle Paul tells us clearly, doesn't he, in Romans, that the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this condition? And thanks be to God, he's given us Jesus Christ, who dwells within us richly. So you must be, be born again. Every worldview says that we are not, that we are basically good, except for Christianity that says we are not basically good. Listen, if you're saying that you're basically good, then what you are also saying is that you have the ability to save yourself. And if if anything has come down to us through the ages from the church fathers, it's this. We do not have the ability to save ourselves. And if if we had the ability to save ourselves, we wouldn't need God the Father to send us a savior. That's why God sent a savior. Jesus said, that's why I have come, to seek and to save what was lost. So, how, do we, how can we be safe from evil? First, understand who the evil people are, and secondly, understand our own propensity for evil. We need to be born again so that we are not the one who is evil. Pascal one of my favorites, one of my favorite philosophers and th- Christians of all time. He launches one of the most theorist attacks on, in, in Western literature against this notion that we are basically good. I want you to get this. You need to understand this so you understand the world we live in. He says we are all incomprehensible monsters. That is who we are. Until we're born again. When we're born again, we receive the wisdom of God. Until we're born again, we are monsters. But once we're born again, we give up the way of the monster and we become members of God's great family, the family of God. When you became a Christian, did you know that you became my brother, my sister? When you became a Christian, you entered the family of God. And in the family of God, we have what we call saints. Did you know that you have sinned beside you, a saint? Nick, on other side of you, you've got saints. We're saints. Why? Because we're good enough? Absolutely not. We're saints because. We put our faith in Jesus, and Jesus Christ has justified us. He has made us right with God. And God declares that we are saints. God declares that we are righteous. God declares that we are holy. Hallelujah. That, my friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But first, we have to understand our own inclination to sin. So Paul says to the Romans, Romans 10, He says, verse verse 10 to 12, he says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not even one. Hey, can I just say something to you today? Because this is a trend in many churches now. Many churches are trying to have what they call a seeker-sensitive church. The notion that there are people who are not born again seeking for God. We just heard it, didn't we? Paul has just declared it. There's nobody seeking for God. This notion, this idea that the unconverted is seeking for God is not a biblical idea. David says it in the Psalms. Paul repeats it here in Romans chapter 10. And so in our church, when I'm preaching, I'm preaching to believers. I'm not preaching to the unconverted. I'm preaching to the converted. Do you get this? It's only when you're born again, it's only when you're converted that you are seeking for God. So you say, well then how does a person who's unconverted find God? I'll tell you how. There's a beautiful partnership. It's called the work of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel. If somebody here today is not born again, but you're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, how you can be made right with God, and I just told you it's by putting your faith in Christ, then the spirit of the living God is working in your heart, and the Bible says it like this. He's taken the blindness from your eyes. The God of this world, who is Satan, has blinded the eyes of those who are spiritually dead. The people who are perishing have been blinded by Satan, and the Spirit of God comes along with the preaching of the gospel, and he takes the blindness from your eyes so that you can see the truth and put your faith in Jesus Christ. If there's somebody here today who is seeing the truth for the first time, say, yes, Lord, I surrender. Yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I will accept you into my life. That's the power Of the gospel. So, again, how do we survive in this world that's so evil? Well, the very first thing is you've got to understand what evil looks like. And secondly, you need to understand that you need to accept Christ into your life. You need to be born again. And you need to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. Why is it that we're so afraid to tell people about Christ? I can tell you why, because you're afraid of being persecuted. And yet, And yet we're told, Jesus himself says it. Anybody who's a Christian is gonna be persecuted. Paul says that to Timothy. If if you are a Christian, then you can count on being persecuted for your faith. Why? Because the world hates the truth. The world loves the darkness. You get this? But we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, go forward, preaching the gospel, believing that God has got people waiting for us to tell them about Jesus. You don't know who's waiting right now for your message of love, your message about Jesus. And this is why in the power that has been given to you when you were born again, you must go in that power and tell people about Christ. That's how we survive this world. That's how we survive evil. Now, I'm gonna tell you something. When you became a Christian, God began to transform your mind. That's what Paul talked about, the transformation of our mind. When you became a Christian and the Spirit of God began to work in your heart and you began to read the Word of God and you became thirsty, hungry for the Word of God, God started opening your eyes and you began to have a wisdom that came from God. You began to understand things you never understood before. And so this is what Solomon says, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 9. You will understand, once you become a Christian, once you put your faith in Christ, once your desire, your hunger is for wisdom, he, he says, then you'll understand what's right. Then you'll understand what's just and what's fair, and you will find the right way to go. Folks, this is the fruit of wisdom, is that now you have understanding? Before you were a Christian, you didn't have understanding. You had a twisted understanding of what is right and what is wrong. For, for centuries, we lived under this understanding that there, was, that there was only one truth. And today, we don't understand this. And we all say, well, you've got your truth, I've got my truth, you've got your truth. Can you imagine, could you imagine if a mathematician tried to do mathematics that way? For you, 2 plus 2 is 5. For you, 2 plus 2 is 4. For you, 2 plus 2 is 1. We, we wouldn't get anywhere. Mathematics would be stopped dead in its tracks. And so it is with the truth. We're stopped dead in our tracks until we understand what the truth is. I don't care what your opinion is. As much as I love you, I don't really care what your opinion is or what your opinion is, and frankly, you don't care what my opinion is. What you want to know is what is the truth? What does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture teach us? And it's for this reason, my friends, we need to have a Christian worldview. That is, a, an idea, an understanding of what this life is all about, what God's purpose is for this life. We need to be able to interpret what happens in this life, and it happens only with a Christian worldview. A Christian worldview, my friends, put, to put it simply, is the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Now, remember what we read in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. But fools, not people with a low IQ, fools are people that reject God. Fools reject what? Wisdom and discipline. We're living in a day and an age right now where we've all become fools. And sadly, many Christians have become fools too because they have failed to understand the centrality of the word of God. They don't understand what it is to be led by the spirit anymore. And for this reason, next Sunday, we begin a brand new series called Truth. It's a study in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm very, very excited about this. You don't want to miss one of these services. You need to hear this. We're going to talk about truth, the solid rock. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what is it that we believe? What shapes our worldview? How do we interpret the stuff that we're hearing on TV and on the internet, on Facebook and Instagram and so on and so forth? How do we interpret that as Christians? I can tell you that as Christians, we interpret it very, very differently than people who don't have the Christian worldview. People just seem to be utterly incapable of thinking anymore. Gloria brought to my attention a posting. It was on Instagram. And this posting was made by a student of one of our Bible college, one of our Bible colleges. This is a summit summit Bible college grad. And the summit Bible college, I think, is in BC on the coast. And this Summit Bible College grad is posting something that is in favor of abortion. It's a woman who was on The Daily Show, and she is sharing her view of people who are pro-life. Only she doesn't call us pro-life. She calls us anti-choice. She's putting a negative spin on it. Christians are pro-life because we understand that life is sacred. Human beings, babies, are created in the image of God. And so this is what this crazy woman says. She says, the anti-choice people... That's us. The anti-choice people are not trying to stop abortion. They're trying to legislate who can and can't have abortions because conservative politicians, their wives and mistresses and daughters will always be able to get an abortion somewhere. What this woman is saying is that is that people who have conservative values or Christian values are against abortion because they don't want people to have choice. It's utter lunacy. This person goes on to say all anti-choice rhetoric does is keep people trapped in poverty for generations as though that is what the argument is about. That's not what the argument is about. It's about killing babies. But you see how they put a spin on it. No wisdom here. No knowledge. Utter stupidity. And people, oh yeah, that's right, that's true. Are y'all stupid? She says, that's the goal. And if it wasn't the goal, they would spend their time and money on comprehensive sex education, free birth control, and free contraception. Folks, listen. I'm not gonna even argue against that. What I'm gonna say is this. I reject the premise of her argument because that's not the real issue. The real issue is, first of all, human life is sacred. Human life, we don't have the, the right or the ability to take life. Oh, We have the ability to take life. We call it murder, except if it's a baby in a woman's womb. Then it's not. It's totally all right. It's woman's rights. We need the wisdom of God, people, to understand how to deal with the onslaught of stupidity of our culture and our society christians need to be the standard bearers of truth and wisdom but fools the bible say despise wisdom and despises discipline the fool says in his heart there is no god we believe in God. We believe in Jesus Christ. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. And because we've done that, he is the one that shapes our thinking. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, some of you are sitting here today thinking, well, how on earth can we ever deal with this? And I wanted to tell you something this morning. Solomon would say that we are, as wise people, in a superior position. We are in a superior position over those who are foolish. Did you get that? You will find the right way to go if you have wisdom. You'll know the difference between what is right and just and fair, and you'll know what is unjust, you'll know what what is wrong, and you'll know what is unfair. Here's the next thing he says. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. When you became a Christian, my friends, what happened is that your mind was transformed. Did you know that? When I became a Christian, I got a new brain. We call it, in in Christian circles, we call it a new heart. But essentially, that's what it is, a new way of thinking. Our hearts have been transformed. Our minds have been transformed. Transformed. And this, for this reason, the Apostle Paul tells us, and by the way, don't stop growing in your faith. Don't stop renewing your mind. You can read about it in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be filled with the Spirit on all occasions so that we know how to face the craziness of this world. And I love that. As wisdom enters your heart and knowledge enters, Knowledge fills your heart. You will have a joy. Now, can I just tell you that word joy is, the, it could be translated, you'll be gratified. You will be fulfilled. You'll, you'll be satisfied. It's sweet. You, you won't want anything else. You just want more and more and more of the word. Does anybody remember when you first became a Christian or when you first got your Bible? Couldn't stop reading it. Couldn't stop putting it down. I've been in the ministry since 1983. And I'm gonna tell you, the word is becoming more and more and more exciting. I, and it, 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 doesn't, it, it never decreases, it increases. It's just, it's just, an, it's just like an, a never-ending or a bottomless pit of joy and wisdom and wonder and delight. Is it, is it that for you? Well, folks, listen, this is what God wants. The fruit of wisdom is that you'll have understanding. The fruit of wisdom, you'll know the right way to go. Do I go this way? Do I go? Do I believe in this? Do I believe in that? What should I do? How should I perform? How should I react? What should I say? What should I not say? What should I do? Wisdom will tell you what to do, and you'll know it. That is if you are continuing to grow in wisdom. Wisdom, the fruit of wisdom, furthermore, is that it fills your heart, gives you knowledge, it makes you satisfied. You, you won't be looking for anything else, you'll just look for more of God. When Smith Wigglesworth, this is, this is the beginning of the last century, when he became a Christian, he, he couldn't read anything. He taught himself to read by reading the Bible, the King James Version, no less. And it was the only book he read, and he always said, I can't get enough of this book. This is well into his old age, can't get enough of this. Why? Because he discovered the, the sweetness, the pleasantness, the, 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 the satisfaction of knowing truth. This is the fruit, my friends, of wisdom. The more you have, the more you're gonna love it. And then finally, I wanna share this with you. This is so cool. This is, to me, this is, this is the icing on the cake. Verse, six, verse 11. Solomon says, wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. You see that word, uh, the, the, the phrase there, wise choices? That's a translation of the Hebrew, mezimal. That can be translated discernment. If you have a King James Bible, it'll be discernment. If you've got a, a, a an ESV, it'll be discernment. If you've got an RSV, it's the word prudence. The idea is this, folks. Watch this. This is so cool. It's that... It's that you have the ability to think strategically. You'll be able to see things that other people don't see. It's almost like it's almost like a superpower. Has anybody ever played chess? People who are really good chess players they have the ability to play two and three and four moves ahead. And if you're a, a grand chess master, uh, one chess master by the name of Magnus Carlsen, he claims that he can see. 15 and sometimes even 20 moves ahead. So if you move your pawn, he can think of 15 different things that can happen there. And so he'll know what to do. If you move your your bishop, whatever you're doing, he, he's got 15 or 20 moves ahead. That's like a superpower, isn't it? Well, look at this, my friends. Once your mind is being transformed by the power of God, once you begin to have this wisdom of God, you begin to have this discerning, this prudence, this strategic mind that knows how to deal with evil and with evil people and their evil ideas and their evil philosophies, you'll know what to do. It's not luck, it has nothing to do with luck. It's the ability to see what other people can't see. This is the wisdom that comes from God. It's not of this world. It's supernatural, it's divine, and it belongs to every man, every woman, whose desire and longing it is to please the Lord. Jesus said, in, 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 in Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 to 17, the Pharisees came to Jesus, and, uh, and, and here's what Jesus said. He, he said, Be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. We've got to be sweet and gentle people, not arrogant, not nasty. We're, we're not violent. We're, we're not aggressive, but we're sweet and gentle people. But Jesus says, In being sweet and gentle, be as wise as a serpent. And so we read about, well, we see a prime example of this Matthew 22. We see actually two incidents of it. We see the Pharisees coming to trap Jesus because they hated Jesus. Jesus was teaching the truth and Jesus was exposing the Pharisees for being what they are, serpents, he called them. These are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the nation. The Pharisees wanted to trap him and so did the Sadducees. Let me just tell you about the Pharisees. They're the first ones that come after Jesus. You can read about it yourself in verses 15 to 17 of Matthew 22. Teacher, they said to him, we know that you're an honest man. What are they doing? They're flattering him. But Jesus is not stupid. You see, he can see through this. He sees two and three moves ahead. He knows what's coming. We know that you, touch, that you teach the truth about God's way, so tell us what you think. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, Jesus knows where this is going. There's no good answer to that question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? So if Jesus says it's wrong to pay taxes to Caesar, then the Pharisees will go tell the Romans Jesus is teaching people not to pay taxes, Jesus will be arrested, he'll be put to death. But if Jesus says it's right to pay uh, taxes to Caesar, then the Pharisees will tell all the Jews and he'll be arrested for teaching something that is contrary to Jewish law. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a no-win situation. There's no good answer to that question unless you have the wisdom of God. And so Jesus looks at them. He knows that they're trying to trap him. He knows that they're trying, they're trying to kill him. And Jesus says, Do you have a coin on you? Yeah, here's one. Jesus turns it around and says, Whose image is that? Oh, that's Caesar. That's that's Caesar. And then Jesus says, Give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and give to God the things that belong to God. Bam. And it says that the, the Pharisees heard what Jesus said and they were amazed and then they just laughed and walked away. This is the wisdom of God, my friends. This is the wisdom that belongs to every believer, every Christian whose heart is, is set on obeying God, doing the will of God. Every heart that's set on following Jesus. We don't have to be afraid of anything. And by the way, can I tell you this? Because I know some of you are thinking, well, Jesus did end up going to the cross. They did get him in the end. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Jesus says, nobody's sending me to the cross. I, this is something I chose to do. I went to the cross. For the joy that was before him, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus could have called down the armies of heaven and finished them all off. He could have done that. But he went to the cross to die because somebody needed to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus did not go to the cross because he had no choice he had the choice and that was to obey the father because of his love for us. So folks, while we're living in this world, before we, we enter eternity, God calls us to live with the wisdom of God. You don't have to fear evil, you don't need to be afraid. God will lead you by his word and by his spirit. If you're a Christian today, The spirit of God dwells within you richly. And now it's time for you and me to start living as people who are wise. Because the fear of the Lord is the foundation of knowledge. But fools, not people with low IQ, people who are fools despise wisdom and discipline. They don't want the wisdom of God. They want the wisdom of this world. So let me ask you a question in closing. What wisdom are you living by? Are you following the culture? Are you following the stupidity of our culture today? And it's getting dumber by the day, or are you following the wisdom of God, which will usher you into eternal life? You'll hear the Lord Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the series on wisdom. Thank you, O God, that this wisdom is ours. We thank you, O God, that you are opening our eyes to see the power and the fruit of wisdom. We pray, O God, that we would be a people who live as wise and not as foolish people. Father, thank you today that once we put our faith in you, we began to receive that wisdom from heaven that gave us the, the ability to understand what is right, what is just, and what is fair. This wisdom shows us the right way to go. This wisdom enters our heart and transforms our minds. It gives us joy and satisfaction, and it gives us a superpower, the super ability, O oh God, to deal with every idea that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, Oh. God. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, fill us afresh with your power, with your spirit, that we may live as wise men and women. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. God bless you. God bless you. Tell the person beside you, go in wisdom.